Whenever you rent or buy a video, you need to be sure that the film you choose is suitable for the audience at home. Do sit down. We're just about to have some tea. Ladies and gentlemen, please do not panic, but scream. Scream for your lives. Hey weirdos, the kettle's boiled. Welcome to Tea for Terror, where we take a favourite horror film and dissect it over a nice cup of tea. I'm your host, Andrew Graves, and my guest today is here to tell us that a son makes a poor substitute for a lover. Welcome, Barbie Wilde. How are you doing? Uh, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I, I had such a a delightful sorry i'm just adjusting things here i had such a delightful um last seven days seven days um but you know just looking at um well last night was psycho again and then um before that i watched um hitchcock uh which is about the making of it starring the wonderful um um, Anthony Hopkins and Helen Mirren. And before that, I, w- I meant to send you this link to a very weird documentary called, I think, 7852. Have you seen that? Yeah, is that, is that, is, uh, is that the one just about the, the, sh- the shower sequence? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing, really. I mean, I, one of the other things I do, I mean, obviously we'll get into this, but later on, but one of the other things I do is I teach kind of film related subjects at university and you know it's obviously psycho obviously comes up but yeah and yeah. so we look at the editing of that and and that that whole scene i think that that took seven days to do that scene and it was just uh yeah you know it's an incredible piece of work i mean it is one of the most famous uh clips in history but i think it rightly so it is yeah. it's brilliant yeah but also it just pointed out things well actually we're probably getting ahead of each other Yes, let's 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 <laughs> talk about let's talk about you first, Barbie. Oh, so, I'm okay, so uh, <laughs> you know, um, so I right, okay. Now, it, it, generally, when people are living their lives, I think that you know you have certain goals and you do things, and um, and if you can achieve any of them, then it's great. But you know, looking at your CV, I, I would suggest that you, you you've not wasted any time, have you? <laughs> <laughs> you know you've I, got everything is on there i mean the stuff with shock you know the 80s kind of stuff the dance music stuff you're obviously an author as well and and, and obviously a lot of people will know you from being the female centerby in in um Hell, hellbound hellraiser 2 which is possibly my favorite sequel ever and we we covered it um on an episode a while back and uh yeah so um you know slouch let's put it that way <laughs> isn't it funny though because you you know when one looks at, um back at one's career you go oh i didn't I, you know but the thing is i didn't really i mean i went to drama school and and then i thought i want to get out there and then i went back to drama school because out there meant you really should be trained and um but my sort of last chance was really going to um school in the UK because at that point I was living in the United States I was going to Syracuse University and um I thought oh god I'm never going to get a degree my parents were in despair so there was this English program you went studied with Rada and Lambda teachers 
and it was brilliant. But I went to a mime class, met a mime artist called Tim Dry, joined a mime company, and my my teacher said, oh, well, you know, you're a gypsy. Don't worry about finishing your degree. And then because of that, probably the mime training, I got Hellraiser over the after doing the music stuff with Gary Newman and Adam and the Ants and supporting them and stuff like that. That was wonderful. But um, it was the sort of last thing I thought I would do. And I've said it before. I almost didn't go to the audition for Hellraiser because it scared me too much in the cinema. <laughs> and I thought they wanted me to be the chatterer character. And I hate mask work because um, I've done a few things like that and I'm a bit claustrophobic. So, but here we are talking, still talking about it, you know, reboot last year. And uh, was it last year uh, for um, the, yeah, the, the 4K, the 4K stuff came out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that and also the Hulu reboot with Jamie Clayton playing the hell priest and stuff. That was interesting. Um, so the, the legend lives on, but I nearly didn't go. Um, but a friend of mine said, go on, Bobby. You know, he's from up north. You know, if 20 years from now, they'll be writing books about you. Sorry, terrible accent. Uh, Barbie Wilde, Queen of the Bee movies, because I'd already done Death Wish 3 and Grizzly 2. So all my movies have numbers after the titles, except the Bollywood one. Jim Baz. That was weird. But anyway, so it is a you don't you don't plan careers like mine. No, no, no. <laughs> what was that like? What was that? Because obviously, you know, I've had uh, Nicholas and, and uh, Simon on the show. Uh and obviously they 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 came at it from they they knew Clive and so they they their involvement in it was was more sort of organic. So so what yeah. was it like for you coming into it? as the kind of replacement female Cenobite, if you like. And how, how did how did you feel about all that? And how quickly did you kind of fit in? Well, I, I don't know why Grace didn't want to reprise the role. I've been told it's because she didn't like the makeup process. And I totally get that because it's like, what was it? Six, four hours or whatever. It was horrible. Yeah, it was four hours for me and then half an hour to get into the costume. Um, but no, it was fine. I mean, everybody was very welcoming and adorable. Um, didn't really meet, uh, Claire or, um, Ashley met her a couple of times on the set because we were just lurking in the shadows yeah. Yeah, yeah. and didn't have much interplay with, um, I did introduce myself to Ken Cranham. Um, he was in full channered makeup and costume and he was on the phone to his wife and I sashay in <laughs> full makeup costume as female Cenobite. God knows what took, I, I was exhausted. <laughs> That's my excuse. I went, hello, Ken, my name's Barbie. Do you want to get married and have babies called Skip, Skipper and Pepper? <laughs> and he didn't know what the hell I was talking about. Because, of course, it was all Cindy, Cindy, Cindy with the Brits. They didn't. He didn't know who Barbie doll was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so he said, I've got to go now, darling. An actress is talking at me. Which I <laughs> But, you know, he's, he forgave me. I just went to see him doing a poem re poem, poetry reading last year. But, I mean, I think we were all exhausted and tired. And so it was, but they, they, they were, everybody was really welcoming and adorable. And I think that's the thing with actors. You have to become instant friends yeah. with each other. Or how do you, how do you get on? How do you do stuff? You, you know, there are some people who are, you know, not very 
likable to be with. But uh, these guys were great. I mean, Kenneth Cry. I mean, we talked about Kenneth Cryan before, but it's um, you know, because <laughs> obviously he's got this kind of Shakespearean background. He's a theatre guy, you know. But you know, the, uh, but for me as a kid growing up, I, I knew him primarily through Shine on Harvey Moon. You know, so yes. he watched this like this this kind of sitcom sort of drama series about the aftermath of the Second World War, post-war Britain. And then the next time you see him is this syphilitic penis. <laughs> it's brilliant. No, no, it's, he, he was telling me about some of the movies he'd made and stuff, and I I was horribly unfamiliar um, with them. And <laughs> it's a bit embarrassing. But he mentions Shine on Harvey Moon, and I never watched it on British TV. I mean, I don't know what I was watching. Um when I did Death Wish, I remember running back and seeing V. Do you remember the creepy yeah. alien? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thing? Oh, cool. But um, all I remember, of course, at the time I was doing Hellraiser, I was actually presenting a video review program on ITV. It's not a music box. No, no, that was that was uh, no. This was called the small screen. Oh, and right. It was okay. On ITV, had to go to you know South, uh, whatever they call it. Um, and um, record it, and it would go out at two in the morning, so no one could see. But um, it was, so I had to get time off to do that. So, but it was sort of my preferred, really, way of my career going, is to be more of a presenter than an actress. But um, I know people think my performance is, is wonderful, and I'm very pleased they do. But most of them were traumatized by me when they were eight, and I, <laughs> what were their parents thinking of? Um, but um, no, but the, the thing I think about Hellraiser is that it is truly innovative, different. It could only come to the, the genius brain of Clive Barker. And uh, my favorite is the first one, I have to say. But everybody has said that the second one is a great sequel, which I'm very pleased to be involved with. Yeah, I, I, you know, the th I, I, I've said before, the first one, you know, objectively, I think you can say the first one's kind of just out there, but there's just something so gorgeous and strange and odd about the second one. It, it's it's brilliant. It's just got everything. It's just great. Yeah, well, um, I think fans like it because it's it it's, talks more about the Cenobites. You get a background yes. of, of some of them. Um but uh, I think that's why people like it. But for me, because the first one was really centered on Julia and Frank's <laughs> rather dubious relationship. And when I put it at the S&M elements and stuff, it, to me, that was just fascinating. And it was, um, I recently did a show with Claire Higgins and uh, it was great getting back in touch with her. And she's still the force of nature. She was back in, you know, when she did that. But of course, she's a theater actress as well. Yeah. And she's done, you know, didn't she? She's done Doctor Who and all kinds of stuff, you know. So I think that's, that's actually, if you can get a horror movie with really great actors doing it, then it's, it does make a difference, I think. And an unusual idea like Hellraiser. So what was your sort of entry point into horror then? When did you first kind of start engaging with horror films? My brother asked me if I was going to mention this. And I said, of course, how, how else can I torture you? My big brother was four years older than me. <clears throat> and uh, excuse me. We moved to America 
we had one channel in Canada and we moved to America, three channels. Woo. Every Saturday there was creature feature. So they would show 50s horror movies, which they thought, ah, kids won't get disturbed by them. You know, the thing from another world, invasion of the body snatchers, which I nearly picked for today because it scared me so much. And then I thought, no, I can't watch this. And, you know, some people think I'm pathetic, but, you know, that film, I don't know if you've seen the original black and white version of oh, Invasion. Many, many, many times. Yeah. I've got uh, got the original novelization as well, like Jack, the Jack uh, the Jack Finney book. Um, yeah. I mean, that is, it's still one of the bleakest science fiction films. It's it's great. And, and yeah, I love the Kaufman remake as well. Uh, but yeah. I, there's something about that 56 version, which is brilliant. That one disturbed me because, you know, I was 10, right? <laughs> and it's like parents putting alien pods under their children's bed to turn them into aliens. Invaders from Mars, alien, you know, parents getting drilled in the back of the neck by Martians and then scooged into this lair underneath the ground. Um, and then drilled, tried, people tried to drill them in the back of the neck. I mean, this, you know, you look at these pictures now, the movies now, and they go, ah, oh, well, it's just kid stuff. It was the 50s. But it was the height of paranoia during the um, House and American Activities Committee stuff, yeah, yeah. shenanigans. And it was like, you know, every night I used to look in the closet for the boogeyman, under the bed for alien pods, in the bed for spiders. And I hated going down into our basement. My dad went down all the time to read his science fiction novels. He was a huge fan. It was cool down there. And every time he came back up, I used to check the back of his neck to make sure he hadn't been drilled by Martians. Well, That's uh, my paranoia childhood. I mean, so that Invaders from Mars, I mean, like this, the original is just so, it's just so beautiful. You know, William, Cam uh, William Cameron Menzies, who did, you know, directed it, but all the stage design, it's just brilliant. But also, you know, if you, I, you know, my mom and dad, split up uh when i was like 11 and the, the you know it was in the post for a long time so from about nine ten onwards i was terrified of my parents splitting up i knew it was gonna happen but i was terrified mm -hmm. and i think there's something like uh invaders from mars really taps into that what if what if you wake up as a kid one day and your parents aren't your parents that really does tap into a lot of those anxieties that kids have because they sure. for mo most people your parents are the cement that keeps everything together and keeps you safe exactly. and, and the threat of that not being there is terrifying you know yeah. it's not about no, aliens it's, it's about that it, it well yes exactly and of course there were all, all these other subplots about all these things but i actually did find them terrifying i even wrote a story called botophobia about a fear of basements but one of the things my mother she was from former yugoslavia she left when she was nine or something before the whole communism thing. But she's, when we moved to America, she said, don't tell anyone I'm from Yugoslavia and don't tell anyone we're from Canada. Now I kind of got the whole, because you know, it was going crazy with the reds under the beds thing when I was in growing up. Why Canada? <laughs> and I, I felt comfortable enough about six years later to tell my best friend Lorraine that I was Canadian. And she did a Donald Sutherland an invasion of the body snatchers standing up and pointing. I always knew you had a funny accent and she stormed out of the lunchroom. And I was like going, mom was right. Paranoia is good. Yeah. You know?
So <laughs> this is uh, no, this is this was um, the thing. It, it took me a long time to. I'm very proud to be Canadian now, but um, you know, it's it's a strange thing. But these were times that everything was heightened. I remember, and I'm giving away my age here. Oh no! But I remember the Cuban Missile Crisis. Oh. You know, there's another thing of is a bomb going to drop on our heads? You know. So um, that was, it was pretty hectic. And I asked my dad to please stop me if I'm going too far. No, 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 no. But I asked my dad, could we please, could you please, because he was an engineer. I said, could we have a, um, um, a bomb shelter in the basement or something? And he went, oh, no, no, you don't want to do that. Because A, scientist, you'd have to stay there for 20 years to let the radiation go away. Two, when you came back up, nothing would be the same. We'd be back like in the Stone Age. So much better to die in a blaze of light instantly than to try and survive the experience. That's a good scientific thing to say, but not necessarily to an eight-year-old. <laughs> Three dreams. <laughs> Sleep tight, kid. Uh, but again, because of his love for science fiction, we never missed an episode of The Twilight Zone because yeah. it was a syndication. So that was every night, every week, The Outer Limits. That was scary. But, you know, they loved it. And then, of course, the first um, we moved. And then I, I took a, in high school, I took a gothic literature course. And then I saw uh, Hammer's um, Dracula. With Cushing. And that's another sort of complete from sci fi horror, which I still love, to seeing Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee doing Curse of Frankenstein and, and Dracula. That was another um, extraordinary thing to explore when I was young. Um, and, but of course, the thing that I did do, which was a big mistake, is when I was quite young, I stole from behind my father's library he had Winston Churchill and Sherlock Holmes. And, oh, what's this book? <laughs> Under the covers reading Rosemary's Baby. Oh. Fake. <laughs> Be very careful what you give your children when they're a bit too young. Because I was like, going, oh. but um, then again, again, the paranoia. Um, she couldn't, who was the person doing all the shenanigans was actually her husband. But anyway. So that's kind of like a, you know, in a nutshell. Rosemary's um, Baby works. I mean, especially, I mean, the book's great, but especially the film, because, you know, even if you take, if you take out the idea, if you just take out the minor element, or I say minor, you know, the element that she is carrying Satan's child, if you take that out, it's still terrifying. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the manipulation and control, it's terrifying. It really is the, it's one of the most, it's still one of the most uncomfortable i love it but it's still one of the most uncomfortable films to watch i i, I actually have to confess i've only seen bits and pieces of the movie uh shame on me uh the book you know but i'm one of those horrible people <laughs> hey, well have you seen this film i know but i've read the book you know so um but it it's really um very disturbing and the bits I've seen, I mean, I think Ruth Gordon actually got an Academy Award or a nomination yeah. for her performance. Um, but, you know, thinking, scootling across to two other black and white horror films I love, which was um, The Haunting, mm -hmm. um, and but also The Innocents. Yeah. And the book that was based on The Turn of the Screw, I tried to read that, and it was 
three it's pages. Oh man, it, you know what a great story, but God, it's impenetrable. You can, I, uh, oh, thank I, you. <laughs> no, I, I've, I've had pages. this conversation. Well, Henry one James, room. yeah, great. You know, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> if I tried to turn that in as an essay when I was at university, they'd, they'd kick me out. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Exactly, but the awful. film is beautiful. Yeah, yeah. The film's and great. It is amazing. And um, so, I mean, those were the kind of films. But, you know, my parents didn't think, oh, it's on TV, it must be okay for the kids kind of thing. And they let me watch things past the what the Brits call the watershed on yeah. Saturday. And that's when I saw, you know, my first Hitchcocks. And uh, that was... Um, very interesting. I mean, sitting there, you know, there's my dad sort of slightly falling asleep. Mom's sort of tense. And my brother is at the end of the couch playing his bass guitar quietly, not plugged in. But that's how we would watch it in the family room, everybody watching the television, um, which is, I guess, what Americans or Canadians or whatever, everybody used to do. Hmm. But um, it was sort of the center. I mean, I didn't see any of these films until... I didn't go to the cinema that much when I was a kid, um, but it was kind of expensive back then. But um, the one thing that I remember is going to see Lawrence of Arabia when it first came out. So I'll be about eight, seven or eight. And, you know, the beginning of the film yeah. wipes out on his motorcycle. I was the only person in the cinema to laugh because Bugs Bunny, right? He's going to pop right up again and be okay. Wiley Coyote, right? He didn't get up. He wasn't okay. And then I just was so embarrassed for the rest of the film. But that was an amazing film. But um, that's a real digression. So yeah, <laughs> go back. But um, so basically, uh, horror was there all throughout because of my father and my brother's love for it and um, sci-fi and. Uh, the first film I think I remember seeing other than Star Wars was, you know, when I came to England was Alien. I mean, that's that's a horror movie. Um, um, okay, <clears throat> so let, let, let's go into the, your chosen film now, which obviously we've mentioned it, which is, there's no doubt, this is an absolute classic with a capital C. Yes. Um, Psycho from 1960, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. See the version TV didn't dare show. No one admitted except at the beginning. Psycho, rated M, suggested for mature audiences. Now, Barbie, when was the first time you came across this film? Sitting on the couch in the family room, watching Saturday Night at the Movies with my mom and my dad and my brother. And I looked it up. I thought, when did I see this? And CBS was going to show it. This is quite a horrible story. Uh, CBS was going to show it in 67, 68. They normally have a 10-year gap back in those days. And they didn't show it, Psycho, because this is a horrible story. This guy who was running for Senate in Michigan, his daughter was murdered in her bed the week before, multiple stab wounds, and they were asleep down the hallway. I guess no one locked their doors in 68 or something. I was trying to remember if we did. And so they stopped it because they've never solved the murder either, which is quite horrific. Um, 
but I, I so it was 1970, so I would have been 15. And um, uh, and it's quite extraordinary. But then it was heavily edited, probably also commercial breaks. So that's not the ideal way of, of seeing Psycho. Uh, but it still made an immense impression on me and repeated because I'm an immense um, Hitchcock fan, always have been. You know, then we watched The Birds and that was devastating, that ending. And then Marnie, of course, North by Northwest is wonderful. But that film, as you said, it's a classic but also it broke so many barriers. Mm. And <laughs> the very least, first time an American film showed a toilet. toilet. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but it's, but as, you know, I don't know if you really said it, but the, Anthony Hopkins says in Hitchcock, he said, you know, why this film, Hitch? Why do you want to make this film about this terrible story? And he goes, yes, but what if somebody really good directed a horror movie? And look what happened. It broke so many barriers. But uh, I think the thing that struck me in the last few viewings, other than me at last night screaming at the screen, shut the bedroom window before you take a shower, but <laughs> is that, A, the lack of security. Nobody locked their doors, but I guess everyone did that. But when she's checking in with Norman, charming Norman, and he said, well, you could go and get a meal down the road. Fairvale's only, you know, 10 miles down. And she's so close to safety and Sam. And because of her politeness as a woman and her heart goes out to this lonely young guy, she decides to stay the night. The rain has stopped. She could have said, listen, I'm sorry. Here's 10 bucks. I'll, I'll just go on to safety and Sam. But she stayed. And that really struck me because I think, you know, during the war, women were doing the men's jobs and they were strong and a lot of women's pictures were happening. Um, and then in the 50s, it all got sort of sapped away. And you had to become this perfect little lady. And that's why she, Marion, was very naughty in the free spirit. But why didn't she just go on to Fairvale? But she didn't. Oh, otherwise we wouldn't have our little picture then, would we? As he says. But uh, I just found that kind of tragic. And every time I see it now, I think of that. But then, you know, it is so groundbreaking. Um, I mean, I think 1960 is really interesting in terms of cinema. I mean, obviously, Psycho gets a lot of the, the examination and, and has been reappraised and quite rightly so. But if you think about what was happening, you know, people look at the end of the 60s as being the turning point for new horror, new Hollywood. And that that's true. But you can see the beginnings of that with with a film like Psycho. But also you can see that, you know, Psycho is very much the the precursor of the Jalo film or the slasher film, you know, all this kind of stuff, you know. But at the mm. same time, same year, Psycho, you've got Peeping Tom in this country, uh, which, you know, on some levels is more disturbing much more disturbing than psycho uh but yeah. also you get films like horror hotel in america which is kind of like the first amicus sort of film and then you get yes. um, um 
you know, around a couple of years later, you're getting films like The Haunting. There's a lot of films, and, and um, uh, 63, you get uh, Carnival of Souls. A lot of it mm-hmm. is about this idea of women, main women characters going somewhere that is becomes dangerous and them feeling lost. I think there's a lot, and, and like you said, during the war, you'd had this push for women to take up the roles that weren't being filled by men because of the war. And then, so they gained independence, but then after the war, the post-war period, you've got this big push in the fifties to get people back in the kitchen, this subservient sort of roles and advertising was all geared to, and a lot of films in the fifties were geared to run. And and we, and there was this Rosie, the river to what became known as a Rosie, the river to paradox where, you know, Marilyn Monroe being a brilliant example, she, during the war, she had this successful pinup career, you know, and then a boyfriend or husband came back or whatever and expected her just to get, even though she's earning more money than he could possibly earn. This idea that she should give up, you know. It it, caused caused problems. And, and, you know, of course, there's the famous Black Dahlia serial killer. I mean, here's the other thing. This is a time when people weren't talking about this kind of murder, Ed Gein, the serial, you know, he possibly obviously did kill at least two women. But I, there's a wonderful film, which I highly recommend, that examines this problem of women in the 50s is Pleasantville. Yeah, Pleasantville is great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, so that's, again, you know, she's expected to be there with the cocktails. Hi, honey, I'm home, you know, kind of thing. And, um, but, you know, there's, there's Marion in a car by herself. But there's this wonderful moment, of course, when she's imagining the conversation between her boss and the guy she's robbed. And he says, well, I'm going to make sure she's going to, you know, and she's like smiling and going, I got one over on these guys who are my boss. And then she gets, and she has, because of a conversation, ironically with Norman, she thinks, you know, this is bad. How am I going to pay back the 700? Oh no. You know? And then, it's uh, sadly, you know, but back in those days, like I said, I was trying to remember, did we lock our doors in this safe little neighborhood that we lived in? And um, it, it is a, no one knew about these people. The Ted Bundys were in the future, but they were also, you've got your um, Jack the Rippers and all the murders that happened through the Blitz uh, and and in just after World War II, all these things. I mean, murder has always been there, of course. Um, and violence of men against women has always been there. But I suppose the, the interesting thing about Norman is he didn't murder as a man. He murdered as a woman. Yeah. Or did he? You know, <laughs> I mean, it's it's really fascinating. A lot of people have a problem with the psychologist's speech at the end. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I, I don't mind it, you know. But it's it's the, that idea of the kind of. It felt like that was. It's put in there for the rubes, I think, you know, just just to underline, you know, this. And but we we forget from a twenty first century point of view, we can look at Psycho now. We get all the nuance and all that, and uh, mm-hmm. but the, people wouldn't weren't necessarily looking for that. So you, you kind of needed. Oh, I that. thought it was. This is the I actually thought it was absolutely necessary. Yeah. Because when I first watched it, I went, 
huh, why was he dressed up as a, a gal? You know, all this kind of stuff. His whole idea about being fixated on your mother, it was all new to us, unless you were interested in psychology or, or you know. And um, I mean, when I first came to the UK, I, I read a book called The Order of the Assassins. That was by Colin Wilson, who's written tons of stuff on the subject, you know, about uh, forensic stuff. And he wrote the, the definitive volume of criminal history of mankind. But he examines all this, this phenomena. But back in the 60s, unless you read in the paper, you know, you didn't. And they didn't have the sort of news, constant news cycle that we have now. Blame Ted Turner. CNN. But it's, now it's, it's in your face all the time. Uh, but back then, it was very, very new. And um, that's why I think, again, it was quite a, a leap for Alfred Hitchcock to make, to go from north by northwest to, to Psycho. Um, but it was he made more money out of that film than any other film he, he directed. But I guess, I guess he'd already done Vertigo as well. And Vertigo is like the, one of the most perverse films. That's <laughs> what? It's all about the obsession. I mean, I, but it was, it bombed at the box yeah. office. Um, people didn't like it. They weren't ready and... for it. It was a, it was a fifties were obsessed with the family unit. And here was one of the few films that came out in the fifties, which, was nothing to do with the nuclear family. This was about outsiders, absolutely, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but also it, it, again, I mean, he he did a couple of films like, you know, I, I'm not that fond of Spellbound and I haven't seen it that many times, but obviously he's very interested in how the brain takes and, you know, Vertigo is about obsession, um, which, and I, I saw it when it was re-released in the 80s, I think, in the cinema, because it's voted at one point one of the best films ever made many years later in the 80s. And, it, oh, God, it was gorgeous. And it's actually quite a beautiful film. But, you know, I just feel so sorry for uh, Kim Novak's character because she's she just wanted to get back into Scotty's life, but it, it all ended badly for her, as it often does for for women in Hitchcock films. Um, another one that he did, of course, which was a, a serial killer film, was Frenzy, which did very poorly at the box office. Yeah, I'll, um, I want to get into Frenzy later. Now then, I I um I I think what because I, I I first came across this film when I obviously I'd heard I grew up loving horror films and like yourself my parents were fairly lax and they let me watch whatever really so I remember watching you know horror double bills from very very early on as as I've discussed before but yeah Psycho was one of those films obviously I was aware of it but I came across it I think the first time I saw it I was twelve thirteen. Uh, and because my mom was kind of saying, you should watch this film. You need to watch this film. You know, Psycho's on. You need to watch this. And and I and I watched it and I loved it, obviously. Uh, but years later, I did um, a kind of film studies course, like an A-level film studies course. Um, 
and obviously they 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 took touched upon psycho there but they showed psycho on that course and then we discussed it and all that but one of the things that really sticks in my head from that that sort of intro to a more professional intro to psycho was this which has obviously been talked about a lot before but i i love the visual descent the journey we go we we literally start in the sky phoenix that's where we you know obviously another bird reference we are in the sky we drop yeah. down a little bit into a seedy hotel room. We've got the, you know, Marion Crane in her underwear. She's having an affair, all this kind of stuff. We drop yeah. down even further to street level to her office. Then she goes on the journey. Um, and then we get to, you know, the Bates Motel. Uh, then we get to the Bates house. And then we go down even further into the basement. And the final shot we see of the entire film is the swamp. You know, we've mm. got the sky to the swamp. This is, you know, again, as much as Psycho is a black comedy in some ways, it's about as bleak as it gets. Yeah. It, we yeah. we we are dragged down into the, literally into the swamp, in the dirt, you know. It's brilliant. I never thought of it that way. You're absolutely, that's a, a brilliant, you know, because I never thought of it exactly like that in that way. But um, the, the funny thing is, is that, again, you know, seeing it when I was fairly young, because uh, I was quite callow as a teenager. I mean, I didn't have any dates or anything like that. So I didn't really know anything about this kind of thing. And um, uh, the, the going down into that root cellar, I mean, it was just so horrible and spidery and nasty. And our basement was the same it was an unfinished basement that house was fabulous and i i must admit you know my parents just you know I, they weren't particularly lax but they just thought oh it's on tv it must be okay but um the thing that i thought was kind of a funny story uh is a friend of mine was taken by his mother to the cinema to see psycho when it first came out in the uk he was 11 and it was Oh, darling, it's all right. You know, that nice Mr. Psycho, he did North by Northwest. This should be lovely. <laughs> oh, my mother. Oh, my God. You know, um, but, you know, the, 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 all the things that have gone into, um, you know, the, the zeitgeist or whatever the word is, you know, this idea that, you know, after the filming, Janet Lee said she never took a shower again. Um, and <clears throat> I never took a shower in my when I was a kid, when I was alone in the house again after watching Psycho, I mean that's an incredible effect, isn't it? And um, the, but I, I think that he does have his playful moments in the film, but he does in all of his films, doesn't he? I mean, he's got this. Um, even seeing him, I'm sure he's in a window. You know, yeah. in Marion Crane's office, you see him standing um, in the sidewalk. You know, he always appears in each little film. And no matter how hor horrible those films become, um, there's always this light touch, um, which I think is, a, again, a sign of his genius. Uh, well, it is the, I think it's just the, you know, obviously a film, any film, 
no film happens on its own and i know we we can overplay this idea of the auteur you know it's a collaboration lots of people are on that set lots of people are are, are, are working towards this thing but obviously with someone like hitchcock he was such a control freak and you know there is nothing nothing appears on screen by mistake nothing you know it's it's there everything is planned the mise-en-scene is, is set out so intricately that and psycho in particular but lots of his other films but psycho in particular the way that you know you can look at that the the, the parlor room scene with the uh, norman and marion it's just the way that norman is lit and the way that marion is lit are, are completely different Norman is, mm. is, is, you know, we get these low angle shots and he's surrounded by birds of prey. Obviously he's a predator, you know, and, mm. but Marion is kind of, she's by this light source. She looks almost innocent, angelic. It's, it's brilliantly done. And I, I, and I know, mm. you know, people might think, oh, it's, it's fairly crass now, but it's not, it's just, it's really, really well done. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's I mean, the, the, the one scene that I always love is when I can't remember if it was Arbogast or, or, um, um, oh my God, John Gavin's character is Sam. So yeah. Got his name for a minute. Um, you know, he's looking at the registry book and he's, he comes and you see this extraordinary shot where he's doing this, you know, and he's chewing a little candy yeah, corn. Yeah, yeah. It's a cute little reference they have in the Hitchcock movie that, Hitch finds this thing of candy corn, but that's, that was like, I only noticed it last night. That's what Norman is eating. Uh, whenever it, whoever it is, is looking and he, this shot and he looks like a bird, you know, with the, yeah. the neck and the nose and everything. It's just, every, there's, you know, and in, in that parlor scene, you have the, you know, the, he's coming forward and he's, you know, all, everybody means well, and he, he gets quite angry about, the thought of putting his mother in a, in a, you know, home and all this kind of stuff. Um, it's, it's, but that is the room of the secrets when you think about it, because under that poet, you know, portrait of, I never knew who it was until watching that documentary of Susanna and the elders where she gets raped yeah. um, that, that, you know, there's the peephole and all that kind of stuff. But um, it is, you know, there's so much to enjoy, if that's the right word to it. But it's it's not just a slasher movie. It's not no. torture. It's not all no, the, no, no. the stuff that got so horrible about, you know, 70s, 80s, even today, horror. You know, subtlety was the day, except for, of course, the shower scene, which is still one of the most extraordinary things ever filmed. Uh, I think, and and I mean, wasn't it Saul Bass or Bass or whatever his name was yeah. who did the the title tra- credits? Yeah, and also the music. Yeah, Bernard the Herman. Music. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. A, it, yeah, wow. it's great. I, I, I mean, the, yeah, that the music that go, you know, particularly obviously the shower scene. You know, it's just I've got I've got the soundtrack somewhere, and it's just uh, yeah, it's incredible and. Everything, you know, the choice of black, you know, Hitchcock was well into making colour films at this point. The choice of him 
doing something much more independent and black and white you know the, the any sense of blood we get it, it's not that kind of kensington gore it's black you know it's it's yeah. there's so many brilliant choices in this film and i think you know there's so many motifs in that film as well i don't want to get all sort of wanky film studies talk but there are you know the bird motif yeah. that's something that runs all the way through you know there are yeah. even scenes where You've got Sam and the sister in the DIY shop, and she's standing neck in front of this rake, and yeah. she's literally been placed. This is like plumage, like peacock plumage. You know, all of this. It's just yeah. the whole idea of the circles all the way through the record player, the plug, the eyes, the or you know, also the idea of people being blind, not being able to see. Got the cop with the thick sunglasses on his mother obviously in the cellar with no eyes this idea or this idea of characters seeing things that we can see as an audience and other characters can't it's it's so it's so brilliantly put together and, and a fantastic story obviously by robert block robert block was a yeah. great writer fantastic writer yeah. but you know when i was writing my um my serial killer novel <laughs> she said casually I went back. I'd never read the original Psycho novel. And I thought, wow, this is interesting. The things they changed from the novel. Because I'd read a bit of Robert Block. I don't know if you've ever read Yours Truly, Jack the Ripper, which is a great story. Um, but <clears throat> there, things had were changed. So even just the fact that it was Mary Crane and then it was Marion. Yes. For some reason, Marion sounds more pleasing or something to the ear. But the... You know, it it was a. I think Stefano's script made a great, you know, um, metamorphosis or whatever you would call it, segue from the book to the screen. Um, but it is. There's nothing one can say. I think against Psycho as a work of art and a film, and you know, I look at Anthony Perkins' performance, and I and. You know, when we watched it last night, my partner said, did he get nominated for anything? My God, he's so brilliant in this film. Nope. And I think it's because, you know, it would take another few decades for, you know, Anthony Hopkins, funnily enough, of all people to be nominated and to get an award for a horror movie, which was yeah. uh, Silence of the Lambs, I think. Um, so it is, it is a very... Um, Unusual. And the funny thing is, I mean, watching the background movie with Hitchcock with Alfred um, Anthony Hopkins is that basically he decided to make it for as little money as he could. $800,000. He mortgaged his house or something. And he used his TV crew for his TV show. Um, and that's why. But he, he wanted to keep it, I think especially with North by Northwest, which is huge, overblown, amazing. Not, I love the film. It's one of my favorites, but it, it just made it so simple. Yeah. You know, the, the, the psycho thing is going back to the simplicity of his early days with his wife doing fun films back in England or whatever it was, but it was, and yet it, it was his most successful. I think it made something like, on an eight hundred thousand dollar budget, it made something like fifty million dollars. Yeah, I mean it was wow. I mean that's of course maybe considered crass looking at the box office, but it means that your art has reached people. Yeah, and yeah, well, that, that, that's the point. You know, you know, I, yeah. I, 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 you know, don't don't get me wrong. I'm a massive 
um, supporter and I'm a massive fan of cult cult films of course you know you need those low budget independent films that are probably not going to reach a huge audience but if you can do something like Psycho and completely change the landscape you know if Hitchcock can come along and just obliterate the landscape what with this kind of creepy little serial killer film then yeah you need that you do. i think he loved the idea of having all these people screaming their heads off in the cinema you know he probably in his own way thought this this is again having the control of being able to do this to an audience because it's so unexpected and also to kill your leading lady halfway through i mean she was a big star uh, Janet Lee at the time and big-ish and you know I remember being totally shocked watching it 10 years later on TV I mean I hadn't seen you know I was too young to have seen any uh, press from when it first came out and um, it was t totally shocking to me that that should happen but it was a masterpiece yeah. And um, so, I mean, there's nothing to be said about it. I mean, there are a lot of films that I, I love and are masterpieces, but this Psycho has a special place in my heart because also because of the extraordinary, um, I don't know, career of Alfred Hitchcock. And he never got an Oscar for Best Director, which I always thought was really a, it's very sad indeed because he, should should have gotten something somewhere but he did get a um yeah you know honorary oscar at the end well i mean i think the thing with psycho i mean yeah we you don't see a lot that that's the point you know uh we mm. don't need to see it uh, and as you know as hitchcock pointed out a lot you know we don't see the knife really connecting with the body you think you have but because it's so well edited, you think you had, you don't really see it. I think what's interesting is by the time, so Psycho is 60, but by the time you get to the early 70s, when he's kind of at the end of his career, something like Frenzy. I think it's really interesting that, I mean, I love Frenzy. I really do love Frenzy, but it's brutal. And I, mm. but I, but also in what you get in that film is Hitchcock, there are scenes in Frenzy where we see nothing and it's terrifying. But mm. then he allows us to see everything, and that's terrifying as well. It's kind mm. of he's playing around with us. Then he's like saying, "Well, you want this? You want this absolute over-the-top stuff? I'll do that, but I can do a scene where I'll show you nothing, and I'll still terrify you." He was mm. he, he was just a master, just just brilliant. Yeah, and you know, speaking about frenzy, I actually remember seeing it and think, "Oh God, this is this is what an unpleasant journey this is." And I didn't want to see it. And because my partner is also a huge fan, he said, oh, come on, let's, let's have a go. And actually, it, <laughs> this may sound weird, it has so much charm to it. Oh, it's got I mean, the, comedy, the, the detective the, and his wife. <laughs> and they're, oh, darling, I've cooked a new dish. You must try it. Oh, which, no. <laughs> which she never eats. <laughs> she, yes. So the implication is that she's obviously been out somewhere the day, had something nice cooked this crap for a husband he's got to not to have my cordon blue cooking love you know but it's but also i mean even the beginning which i believe it's it shows this sort of body being found in the mud of the thames and the other scene that that of course it's the, the first murder scene of john finch's ex-wife 
Um, but I, I remember thinking, this is actually really brilliant. But I think at the time, people were going, oh, you've gone too far, man. But there's this one little bit I remember seeing in a documentary about it. And it just shows Anna Massey, is it? Yeah. Is that her name? Yeah. Walking up to the door and you know what's going to happen. And that's when he goes, okay, we're going to go someplace else now. And you don't see what happens to her. But the, the thing, the difference between the protagonist, if you can call him that, John Finch was such an unpleasant person. I just wanted yes. to give him a slap, you know. Yeah. And yet Marion, of course, you love Marion Crane. Okay, she's a bad girl and she did all these things. But essence, you know, she didn't deserve it. And neither does he, of course. But he's so grumpy and, and bitter and all this kind of thing that I felt that there was very little to sympathize with. And the, the I'm not sure John Finch, I've seen him in other things, and I'm not sure, I, I have no idea what he was like as a person, but I, he, he just, <laughs> he always plays someone very bitter. <laughs> yes, well. Very well. well. Yes, he was quite rather bitter as Polanski's Macbeth as well. You know, I want to be king. Um, be careful what you wish for. But, uh, no, he's he's a wonderful actor. Yeah, yeah, he's but great. It was, he didn't play a very sympathetic character, but I've, I've forgotten how much, there was leaven within it, um, you know, aspects that, you know, you have to break. As even the master of suspense would, would say, you have to take a break and have, you know, little comedy moments when people can just breathe. But no, it's, it's, it is, I think, on the whole, a deeply unpleasant film, as I thought, fun, funnily enough, Peeping Tom was. Oh, yeah, yeah, Peeping Tom. You know, getting, ba getting back to that. And I mean, Nasty. It actually ruined his career, didn't it? Michael Powell's career for a bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, well, the, the, the weird thing was with Peeping Tom is that you would think going back, because obviously censorship laws were different then, but you'd think, going, I mean, Psycho had a fairly easy time with the censors. Amazingly. Uh, <laughs> Peeping Tom, actually, the censors in this country, I don't know about other countries. I know other countries had a problem with it, but in, in the UK, the censors kind of said, oh, you know, because of all the Powell and Pressburger films, they just naturally, oh, it's a piece of art, you know, we'll put it out there. It wasn't the censors, it was the critics that just killed it and the audience. Um, yeah, and yeah. I think he went to Australia for a bit after that um, to make some, he made some really dodgy kind of awful comedies in Australia. But I don't, yeah, he didn't, he never really recovered after that, which um Yeah, I think shame. he was, was he sort of discovered living in New York by Martin Scorsese's editor, Thelma Schumacher. And she, she sort of, you know, helped him do stuff and recut things for him and stuff like that. But, you know, when you think a matter, is it a matter of life and death with the yeah. stairway to heaven and stuff like that, which I think was called that in America. Um, you know, that is such a, an extraordinary classic. And to, but obviously he was, you know, a questing filmmaker and he wanted to get into this mind of this guy. But I felt the casting was a bit odd there. And the, the idea a woman would just stand there screaming while this guy crept up on her with this thing. You know, I'd just be out of there. Um, but, you know, I can understand being frozen with fear. But I thought it's taking a little bit to the, to the, um, the, the, tripod with the knife at the end of it that's what he was killing people with but no there was very it was a very strange film again sort of leaves a bit of a bad taste in your mouth i think that's yes. the the expression well psycho um, but, was about mother issues and i you know peeping tom was about daddy issues you know it's, it's a 
you know, it's very both films are very Freudian, I think, you know. Oh, God, oh gosh, yeah, yeah. But um, you know, I mean, moving on from from that to say Marnie, that's about mother issues as well. Um yeah. that's a film that pretty much I think people are pretty it's a Marmite movie, people either love it or hate it. Strange to see Sean Connery playing a rather unsympathetic character. T.P. Hedren's great. But, of course, The Birds was almost like force of nature time. And that wonderful lady, uh, the bird ornithologist, saying, well, if the birds did decide to go against us, we wouldn't have a chance. And, you know, it's it's an apocalyptic horror movie. Yeah, it's um, great. Birds is fantastic. It, and, again, it's just absolutely bursting at the scenes with – sexual repressions just it's so it's so brilliantly done you know yeah well of course i think he was a bit oh god yes that's what me can sit here and say how brilliant he was a director absolutely but a very very flawed human being oh gosh and i think that that um um this one little bit where in again i keep referring to it and if you listeners out there haven't seen hitchcock about the making of Hitchcock, um, Psycho, with um, Anthony Hopkins and Helen Mirren. Um, it, it is so wonderful, that moment when he he's accusing her of having an affair. And she goes, well, you know, you've had a million fantasy affairs, you know, and with all your blonde, your battered blondes that you direct with your oh-so-specific directions. You know, I'm paraphrasing wildly here, but, you know, obviously he had, well, as Tippy Hendren has said, you know, issues. And he could often be cruel to his his um, leading ladies. But I, I don't like to judge somebody, A, of that age at that time, because things were so different then. You had a lot of overbearing directors. Otto Preminger was, was notorious, I think. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't want to judge Things. I believe Tippi Hedren and all this kind of stuff. I think that, you know, she probably did get, um, you know, her experience shooting that was horrendous. But I don't know. I mean, believe me, I'm, I'm a me too person. I've had I've experienced it myself, but I don't like to judge people, especially when they're dead, you know, because they can't speak for themselves. But um, no, it is. Oh, it is very Hollywood has always been a cesspit and it still is, I think, you know. <laughs> You know, this, the Me Too movement. Mince your words. Been, Come out with these. Yes, of course. Me Too yeah. should have happened, and I'm glad it did. And and I hope things were highlighted because of that. And I hope women, some women, got justice or comfort or whatever from that. I don't. I honestly do. But also, as well, you know, Hollywood got a fairly free pass from that. You, who's gone to mm. jail? What one guy and one woman? That's it. And it's business mm. as usual, you know. It's yeah. it's not, it's you know this idea of the the one thing that's thrown about over and over again is this idea. You know, you get loads of YouTubers out. There, oh, Hollywood's too woke now. Hollywood's not woke at all. Look who's running it. How can it possibly be woke? It's it's run by ma white males. That's what's woke about that. There's no wokeness there at all. It's yeah. not woke enough, you know. Yeah, I, I I was very disappointed when um, a comedian I know, well, I don't know him personally, but um, he, I'll let him remain nameless, but he's very famous in America. And he said, oh, I went to see Barbie, the Barbie movie with my 30-year-old girlfriend. He's 60. And I said, "I, you know, all this, you know, 
uh, down with the patriarchy stuff. I mean, you've you've won, girls. You know, you know, you've you've won it. So you don't need to. You know, and I was like going, oh boy, my friend, we haven't won it. Nowhere near. And I also go back to um, um, the what Orson Welles said. Of course, he had his problems with Hollywood, and he said everybody thinks that people are here to make money. Yes, of course, people are here in Hollywood to make money, but it's also about power. Make no mistake, people are in it for the power, and um, so it's it is. You know, it is a cesspit. And if you can make a great piece of art against all the odds, like Hitchcock did, um, and it to basically change the way horror was going into something kind of more surreal and yet at the same time real life horror. There aren't aliens, there aren't ghosts. It's just this guy who had an overbearing mother and did other things that were bad, but it happened with Ed Gein. I mean, the things they found in his house were horrendous. And it's, again, it, it, it is real life horror that I think is actually, to me, much scarier than making up things about the boogeyman and aliens and stuff. Humans are the monsters. I think that, that was the thing with what, what became known uh, as the new horror. It was very much about... You know, we'd had from this sort of universal films onwards, you know, arguably horror films were gothic largely and they were about fantasy and they were also about a, an underlying fear of death. And I think what comes along in the 60s, starting with things like, you know, Les Diabolique and, and, and Psycho, you know, yeah, is this yeah. it and particularly later on with rosemary's baby it becomes this this thing about not fear of death but fear of modern living fearing mm. what what's out there who you know this idea that it's not the frankenstein monster that's going to get you or the werewolf it's some creepy guy in a motel room or all it, that or you know it's 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 your husband that's going to rape you and you know or it's you're going to be controlled by this this group of people. It's it's all, you know, Rosemary's Baby is very interesting. You know, here we've got a woman who moves to this city. It's terrifying. Moving to a new city, moving to a new place. All of these things in reality are stressful. Then she gets pregnant, another stressful thing. It's, you know, it's all about the fear of trying to get by in life. That's even mm. something like Night of the Living Dead, which obviously has this supernatural element. Yet... The zombies aren't really the threat. The threat, it's the people who are, you, the humans characters who are with you. Yeah. you know, that, that's what Romero understood completely. You know, it's not the goblins and the ghouls. It's the, the survivors you're stuck with. They're the terrifying ones. Yeah. It's well, a really fascinating time, I think. I, I can't remember that the guy who wrote what was known here as known ex no exit, but it's like hell is other people. And but um was it Jean Paul Sartre or Camus? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, Jean Paul Sartre, yeah, hell is other people. Yeah. 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 And but you know it's it's, it's interesting because when I look back after watching the the Hulu Hellraiser, uh with Jamie Clayton playing um the Hell Priest as they called him her. And uh I went back and watched the first Hellraiser again. 
And my partner said, oh, I remember seeing this in the 80s. And we were like quarter of the way through. And he went, I've never seen this movie. I went, oh, <laughs> he's only seen the one with me in it, of course. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and he, I said, what do you think? Because he doesn't like horror movies. He does not like horror movies. And he said, Clive Barker is a genius. But in that film, to me, the monsters were Claire and Frank. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cenobites were kind of, you know, oh, well, we're just uh, explorers on the outer realm of the sensuality stuff, you know. And they were kind of sexy. They looked like a heavy metal group, all this kind of stuff. But the, the, the way those two behaved, especially, you know, Julia's incredible arc, narrative arc from being mousy housewife to bopping men over the head with a hammer to steal their skin so his her lover can be reformed. I mean, that's that's dedication, as I say all the time. But it's that they are the monsters, too. Humans are, I mean, look at what's happening in the world now. This is why there's so many anxious times, is that we're seeing human beings doing some really horrible things. And that's why we like horror movies, I think. It's the same as when you were you know, around the campfire, Neolithic man or whatever it is, telling each other scary stories as if there wasn't enough to be scared of back in those days. Wherever you take a genre that is ostensibly presenting you with something over the top or, 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 or unreal, and particularly if it, so animation and horror films, they, I, they've, always i think they've been able to push boundaries the other less inflammatory genres can push if you look look at look at what the, you know i'm not saying the simpsons now but look at the first sort of 10 years of the simpsons how brilliant cutting and subversive that was for yes. a prime time animated show they were going way further than anybody dared go in a, in a live action show and i think in horror and sci-fi you can grasp the nettle you can you can go with this look at what look, look at you know things films like um get out what what the, the 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 stuff you could you can create a really entertaining horror film but and you can watch it on the surface for that but underneath man it's just fucking amazing you know the, there's so much stuff you can you can push but because you, you're creating this multi-layered thing where you can watch it just purely as a popcorn horror film, but if you want to take it away, think about mm. the stuff and really go into it, you can do. That's the clever thing, you know. Yeah. Well, I am I actually sort of left um, modern horror a bit behind, um, but recently, because I've been going to Fright Fest a bit more, and um, I saw the Soska's... Um, um, the Saskia sisters, their recent films, which are wonderful. So they did a, um, a film called um, the, a remake of Rabbit and yeah. On the Edge. And it's again, it's just very, you know, it's wonderful. But Douglas Schultz has just done a film called Thorns that has Doug Bradley in it. That's great. There's another film by Andre Orreval called uh, The Autopsy of Jane Doe. I don't know if you caught that. That was a few oh, yeah, years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That to me, it was like, it was perfect because it was, I love crime. So it was like CSI meets a horror movie. And, um, you know, there's just wonderful things coming out. Like Under the Skin with Scarlett Johansson. Yes, that was yeah. really creepy. 
So um, there's some good stuff coming out with modern, by modern film makers. And a lot of it is also women direction, directors as well. There's one called Titan. I don't know if you've seen it. Won the yeah. Palm d'Or. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. about a woman who falls in love with a car. Oh, boy, that's weird. Anna Biller, Jennifer Kent, Alice Lowe, they're all doing brilliant stuff, you know. And and some of of the best horror films ever made have come out this century, I think. Just just some fantastic stuff. Yeah, yeah. But in the end, because I do write a bit of horror, I prefer watching a film with Pierce Brosnan in it and drinking a martini. (laughs) I mean, no, not a martini, a margarita, because that's sunshine and fun. So yeah. I don't watch a lot of horror movies, but you know that's why I pick very carefully. Yeah, um, I have things that I'm interested in, and that's you know, um, I I we actually watched Troll Hunter again, which was Andre Orival's. I'm probably mispronouncing his name. First film, which is hilarious. Yeah, but Troll it has Hunter's big great, goals, fantastic. Know? And I haven't seen The Voyage of the Demeter, and considering such I'm such a Dracula fan. Um, I, I, have you seen it? No, um, I'm waiting for. I want. To, I, I'm a big physical media person, so I want. I want to get a, a decent Blu-ray copy of it. You know. So okay. Um, yeah, it looks interesting, and obviously the new Nosferatu coming up, and there's a new Frankenstein film coming up as well. So yeah, is that the poor things? Is that the poor things one? Oh no! What no, poor things is a very sort of Frankenstein-like sort of poor things. Is if you've not seen poor things. Can't recommend it enough. It's brilliant, absolutely fantastic. It's uh, great. No, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to it because they said it was Frankenstein meets My Fair Lady, which yeah, is an <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, so, Barbie, you got any plugs? Anything you want to plug? Well, I'll be doing some conventions in the United States this year. I've got a collection coming out of my um, female Cenobite short stories that I've written over the years. And it's just a dedicated collection to Sister Celise, which was a character I created um, from the Hellbound Heart novella that Clive wrote. Um, What else? Um, Oh, and I was in a I was in a movie. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to mention. Well, it's up on IMDb, so I guess it's okay. And it's called Body Horror um, um, Eating Disorder. (laughs) Well, of course it is. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and, you know, I've got, I'm briefly in it. Yeah. Um, but it was quite fun to be acting again. And of course, I've got, I'm in a, a two episodes of a uh, prime TV series called Dark Diddies Presents. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Si- si- Simon's in that as well, isn't he? Yeah. Simon's in that. And that's in, I'm in Dad and I'm in The Offer. And in The Offer, you had Simon, me, Oliver Smith, uh, Skinless Frank. Uh, Nicholas Vince and Ken Cranham. Oh wow! So that's that's five Hellraiser alumni in that, that's and that's cool. really amusing, and that was fun. And Dad is just one of probably the best zombie apocalypse. I don't not that keen zombies. I've written a zombie story, but um, this is I think Dad is probably one of the best zombie apocalyptic kind of film. Um, short film well, it's not short film it's sort of like a hour-long episode i've ever seen mm. wonderful script so that, that that's all bubbling around um and there's one other project that might be happening but i shouldn't really talk about it yet until yeah. it's dusted so um i think that's it 
God, I hope well, I, I should write down these things that I want to plug, I suppose. It just remains for me to say thank you. Thank you very much. Honestly, really, really, really heartfelt thank you thank you for coming on it's been absolutely fascinating it's been great to get yet another cenobite in the bag <laughs> cenobite in the bag that's a good title for something no it's been an absolute delight chatting to you and you know you're, you're very knowledgeable and so it's nice to talk to a fellow traveler who loves this you know the horror and um hitchcock yes as much as i do so you know thank you very much for having me you're more than welcome so remember to call round next time. Make yourself at home. You look like you're dying for a nice cup of tea for terror. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future.